I have the pleasure this morning of um, introducing our guest speaker. Uh, he's the uh, lead pastor of a new church plant. They're about eight months old, New City Fellowship Church down, I believe, in Hollywood, Florida. Um, he's married, and he, um, he's a proud father of three beautiful girls. So, Pastor uh, I need your help. Please help in welcoming Pastor John Owens. Good morning, Gospel Fellowship. How are you doing? I had the privilege of visiting here a couple of years ago, uh, but you guys were not in this building. You were in another building. And so it's awesome to be here with you this morning uh, at this facility. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's awesome to see you growing as a church. I really respect your pastor. Him and I only get to rub shoulders maybe once a year at a conference or something, but, but that five-minute conversation we have each time, we get to know each other a little better. So he has my respect. I hope he has yours. He's a good man. I really appreciate Pastor Rodney. Uh, my name is John Omas. I'm a pastor of a new church plant down in the Hollywood, Hallandale area. You take 95 South, you get off of Pembroke Road, you go east, and that's where we are. And we've been going about eight months, and you know, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work. You all know how it is. You're a church plant as well. And, uh, but we're, we're doing all right. We're hanging in there. Uh, a couple things about me that I, I thought you would be interested in. Uh, one is that I went to elementary school with Justin Adamus. You know Justin, who helps lead worship times. I know him. I've known him a long time. His, um, his mother and father were my Sunday school teachers. And we had run off like three different Sunday school teachers. But his mother and father came in and they said, listen, little boys, you are not in charge, we are. And after that, we got whipped in the shape. So uh, I'm excited to be here because I know Justin as well. And um, yeah, I'm the dad of three daughters. There's lots of squealing in my house. It's a very loud house, uh, but I have a lot of fun. So I'd ask that you pray for us as we, uh, as we plant down in the Hollywood Hallandale area. One of our commitments is like you to be a multi-ethnic racially diverse body and trying to do that right now with people on opposite ends of the spectrum of every spectrum it's difficult to do and so we need we need your prayers and we we pray for you as well pastor rodney asked me if i would share this morning about my passion for sharing jesus about evangelism and uh you know i was a little taken aback when rodney asked me to do that because i'll be honest with you Sometimes I am passionate about sharing Jesus, and sometimes I'm not. Anybody honest in here feel the same way? There's times when you want to share Jesus, and there are times when you're like, I'm not really sure if I want to. Because it's more complicated, complicated than ever to share Jesus in this moment of our culture. I mean, there's so many narratives that speak against the gospel. A few of the ones that we've encountered are, I'm spiritual, but not religious, so get your Christianity out of here. Another one is that Christianity is a white man's religion, so get your Christianity out of here. Another one is, if there is evil in the world, how can there be a God? So get your Christianity out of here. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how, how to engage those narratives, because the gospel is true. Not just true for us, it is true. It corresponds to reality, and you and I have to learn how to engage those narratives. But today, I don't want to necessarily talk about the how. I want to talk about the why. I want to talk about why 
to share Jesus. Why you would do evangelism. Why you would engage people with the good news of Christ. And we're going to do that by looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. I'll give you a second to get there. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. Go ahead and turn there if you've got it in a Bible or you've got it on an app. This little section is often referred to as the Christ hymn. The Christ hymn. God's word. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would be present with us, both shaping us, making us more like you, and showing us the why of sharing you. And all God's people said, amen. Several years ago, I was a pastor at another church, and I was hosting a small group in my home. And as we met for the small group, some people brought a new lady into the group, and she was a recent refugee from Syria. You know a lot of refugees have come from Syria. And this was before the big influx. She was, I think, one of, the, one of the early refugees that came in. And we had some interesting dialogue with her. English was her second language, and so we tried to communicate that we loved her and were caring for her. But uh, she said, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you about this dream I have. I said, okay. And she said, in this dream, I was walking through this big building. And I, I walked down a hallway and then took a turn down another hallway and then there was another hallway. I just kept wandering around until I got to this large opening. And when I stepped into this large opening, there was a large room. And up on the far side of the room was this gigantic piece of art. And when I saw it, it was so beautiful and it was so compelling that my jaw dropped, she told us. And as I looked at that picture, I realized that what it was, was a picture of Jesus Christ. This woman was a Muslim woman from Syria, and she's telling us about her dream. And she said, and as I looked at that picture, I felt in my heart that I had to have it. It was so beautiful, and it was so compelling, it just gripped me, and I had to have it. But as I looked at that picture of Jesus Christ, it was almost as if he had to have me. It was almost as if in that picture he was coming out of it, gripping towards me. And so I looked around this room. She's still in a dream. I looked around this room, and I found somebody. And I walked up to that person, and I said, can I have that picture? Can I have that picture of Jesus? It's so beautiful. It's so compelling. I need it. I have to have it. And right as she asked that question in her dream, she woke up. She woke up. 
This dream had happened several months before, but she was still gripped by that image of Jesus from her dream. That image of Jesus still had a grip on her so that she kept talking about it and sharing it, talking about Jesus and wanting to tell other people about what she had seen and the beauty and compellingness of Jesus Christ. She had that piece of art burned in her memory. In much the same way, the passage we look at today is a piece of art. It's a song that early Christians sang about Jesus. And in much the same way that that woman was gripped by that picture of Jesus, this text about Jesus is meant to grip us. It's meant to give us an insight into the compelling nature of who Jesus Christ is. And as we are gripped by that, we talk about it. When we really understand what it's saying about Jesus Christ, we can't help but talk and share about Jesus Christ. And as we begin to understand how beautiful and compelling Jesus really is, as related in this passage, we'll start to think that it's actually crazy that everyone, everywhere, isn't worshiping Jesus. Let me say that again. It's crazy that everyone, everywhere, isn't worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, I know that in this culture, we tend to think it's crazy if anybody worships Jesus Christ. But from this passage, it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus Christ. What we see in this beautiful hymn about Jesus are three things. His unmatched power and authority. He has unmatched supremacy. There's no one like him but also his radical humility and self-sacrifice. There's no one who gives themselves away like Jesus gave himself away. And then lastly, his commitment to restore all things. Jesus's agenda is to make all things new. And as we look at this picture, you will be gripped by Jesus Christ and you won't be able to help but worship him. And as you worship him, and as you see his beauty and how compelling he is, you will realize that it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. And that's what will actually drive you to share Jesus. That's what will actually drive you to do evangelism. First of all, his unmatched supremacy. We go down to the beach sometimes and we engage in gospel conversations with people who are just walking by. And all of them are sort of searching for God in some way. Now, you know that as Christians, we, we know the story that our relationship with God is broken because of sin. Both Adam's sin and our sin were separated from God. And people have this idea that God is out there, but they don't know what he's like. The reason they don't want to know what he's like is because we're separated from him. But that means that people are guessing, here's what I think, G, or here's what I think God is like. They don't know him. He's behind the veil. But what this text tells us is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus broke through the veil, came to earth, and he was the human presence of a knowable God. Muslims believe that God would never become human. He would never lower himself to break through the veil. And many Eastern religions believe that God is not personal. He's just this force. But what our Bible tells us is that Jesus Christ is the human presence of a knowable God. He has broken through the veil. He is God revealed. 
Now, some people say Jesus never said he was God. Paul made that up. Jesus was just a good teacher, but Paul took it and his followers took it and then said, no, he's actually God. But it's not true because Jesus accepts worship from people. In John chapter 9, a blind man is healed by Jesus and the blind man worships Jesus and Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm only a man. Jesus receives the worship because he is God. In John chapter 20, he encounters doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas can't believe that Jesus is resurrected. And when, when Thomas touches his hands and realizes that it is Jesus, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him because Jesus is God. Jesus is unmatched in his supremacy because he is the human presence of a noble God. But also in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, as it says in verse 19. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of the weight of God's character, God's character is unflawed. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's compassionate. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. And all the fullness of who God was, was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. That's incredible to think about because when people encounter God, it utterly wrecks them. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah comes into the presence of God and, and he says that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And angels said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah's response was, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah came into the presence of God, it wrecked him because of the perfection of God and his character. But the perfection of God and his character was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of the weight of God's character was in Jesus because Jesus was God. Paul goes on to write that he is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Now, some have interpreted this to say that Jesus was the first one created, but that's not what firstborn means. Firstborn means, and the Bible has to do more with the position of status. So God, or in the, in the book of Psalms, it's said about David. God says, I will make him, David, the firstborn the highest of kings of the earth. Jesus is firstborn in the sense that he has an unmatched position and status in creation because he is creator. Paul tells us next, by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, anything you can imagine, anything you can see or not see, Jesus was there at creation because Jesus was creator. But not only that, he's not just the creator. Things were created for him. Paul writes in verse 16, it was created by him and for him. And what that means is that the goal of creation is the honor and praise of Jesus Christ. See, we tend to say Christianity is about Jesus. 
is too small. Life is about Jesus. Existence is about Jesus. The entire universe is about Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Creation was created by him, but also for him. Are you beginning to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Are you beginning to see how it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus? Nothing outranks him. Paul goes on to write in verse 17, he is before all things. He outranks all things. Now, when I was a kid, I'd get up on Sunday mornings and I'd get the paper from my dad and I'd open to the sports section and I'd go to the Dolphins game preview. And there would be this, this little grid that I loved. I love this grid. And it would say Dolphins passing offense versus Bills passing defense. Dolphins running offense versus Dolphins running defense. Now, when I was growing up, it always would say that the Dolphins outrank the other team in the passing game because we had Dan Marino back then. But in the running game, we were always outranked by whoever we were playing. And I love looking at that grid. I love seeing how things ranked. But what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter what the matchup is. Jesus outranks whatever you throw against him. Jesus is before all things. He is before all things, and in, all thing, and in him all things hold together. And that gives us an incredible reason to share Jesus Christ. Because people are living their lives giving rank to things besides Jesus. People are living their lives as if there is something more significant and important than Jesus Christ. People say, my, my career, my career is the center. Finding that special someone, that's the center. That's the most important thing. That's the thing that outranks everything else. My political ideology is the most important. Or, or finding influence, climbing the social ladder, getting power, that outranks everything. People are giving rank to things in their life that cannot hold first place. They do not outrank Jesus Christ. And part of our mission is to realize that the world is facing backwards. They've got their backs towards the most important thing in the universe. And you and I have the responsibility to go and tell them that Jesus outranks everything. People are their centering their lives on things that the creator made rather than the one who made creation. And we have to go and tell them that they can know I can personally know the most significant thing in the universe. And that thing is a person, and that person's name is Jesus. Not only is he before all things, but in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. It's a, it's a, the author says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's not just that Jesus wants you to recognize that he's the most significant thing in the universe. He is the most significant thing in the universe. He holds the entire cosmos together by the word of his power. That's incredible. That's amazing. There's no one like Jesus. 
He is the weightiest thing we can, we can think of. Let me ask you an honest question. If Jesus' superiority and supremacy is unmatched, why does he feel so irrelevant at times? I'm just going to be honest because I know you're human and I'm a human as well. And, and though we would say, yes, Jesus is on the throne, there's no one like Christ. At times, in our Christian walk, he feels very irrelevant to our lives. You can be honest, okay? The gospel goes that deep, so we can be honest about who we really are as people. The reason for that, though, is that our hearts have been trained by the culture to think that Jesus Christ exists to help us get a grip on the life we want. So we get the story back. We think that Jesus exists to help us get the life that we want. And as we pursue a career, a spouse, influence, sex, fame, a social media following, as we pursue those things as the weightiest thing in the universe, Jesus will seem irrelevant because Jesus' goal is not to help you get those things. Now he, you can pray to him and he would answer prayers about your career. He'll, he'll help you find a spouse but that's not his main mission. That's not his main mission. And so when we spin things around and we use Jesus to get a grip on what we think is the most important thing, we're trying to knock him out of his supremacy. And therefore he seems irrelevant to our lives. We're living as if we're the most significant thing in existence. And if he can help us get those things in our life, then he seems relevant. But none of those things can handle the weight of being supreme in your life. They will fail you if you put them in the supreme position. But Jesus can handle the weight because he is in the most supreme position. You see, when our goal isn't Jesus's glory, but our own gain, gain Jesus will seem irrelevant. But if we catch a glimpse of his glory, you and I will be grasped by his relevance in all things. You and I will be grasped by his relevance in all things. See, Jesus is so supreme that he has the universe in his hands. Jesus is, is so superior that nations rise and fall according to his desires. Jesus is so powerful that your heart is beating right now because Jesus Christ wills it to. Jesus is supreme and therefore we have to retrain our hearts to realize I'm not the most significant thing in the universe and neither are you and anything that you're chasing besides Jesus pales in significance to King Jesus Jesus isn't here to make us happy and healthy and wealthy he's here to receive our praise and honor and glory as the one who has unmatched supremacy in the entire cosmos we're here to center our lives around him, follow him, share him, worship him. It's all for him. You and I need to get a grip that Jesus is one with, a grip, with his grip on the entire universe. There's no one like him. Paul writes, in everything, he might be preeminent. There's no category for anything that could fit in the category of Jesus. He has unmatched supremacy. So why share Jesus? There's no one like him. There's no thing like him. 
Nothing has the glory and weight and deserves the honor and praise like Jesus Christ. He is deserving of all worship. He has all power and authority. There was no one like him. He has unmatched superiority. And with someone so powerful and so glorious, it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. He's in charge of the entire universe. Some might wonder though, okay, wait a minute. You're telling me there's someone with absolute power? Doesn't absolute power corrupt absolutely? Isn't that what happens? He's superior, but is he good? And that's why Paul tells us about his downward mobility. You and I live our lives trying to climb the ladder. We live our lives trying to be upwardly mobile. We try and get a bigger social circle, or we try and advance our career. We're kind of scrapping to get to the top. We keep our options open. We avoid people that drag us down. And yet Jesus is downwardly mobile. He's supreme. He's the most important person in the universe. And yet he gives up that spot in heaven and becomes a human being. Not a king, but a baby. And not a wealthy man, but a poor man. He does his ministry, he lives his life. He's largely misunderstood by those around him. He's wrongfully convicted. He dies on a cross, an an instrument of Roman torture. And in shame, he's buried in a tomb. Paul writes here about the blood of his cross and his death. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus is beaten, beaten, and caused to bleed by people who were created to worship him. Jesus is beaten and caused to bleed by people who were created to worship him. Why? Why would anyone give up so much supremacy and become so downwardly mobile? So that you and I could be reconciled to God and forgiven our sins. In verse 21, which is a couple verses past our text, it says that you and I were alienated and hostile doing evil deeds. Many times if you ask people about their sin, they say, look, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person, right? And therefore I don't need forgiveness from God or I'm good with God. But if you start to dig a little bit with people and even ourselves, the good is always made up by us. So we always check off the things that we think are good and ignore the things that we think are bad. But when we get to the scripture, Paul tells us, no, we're alienated from God and hostile doing evil deeds. In verse 15, he says that we live in a dominion of darkness. But through Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from that dominion of darkness. He was put on the cross for us. He was punished and his blood was shed in our place. And he died on that cross in order that you and I could be reconciled to the God of the universe. We were soiled in sin, but he made us spotless. We were rebels, but our relationship with God has been restored. We were under God's wrath, but we have been redeemed because Jesus was downwardly mobile for you and me. No one has ever been that high and no one has ever gone that low. One with unmatched supremacy embraced downward mobility to reconcile you and I to God. He did it for us. And so listen, if you say, I've sinned too bad, God can't forgive me. Jesus went low for you. 
There's no one that could be punished like Jesus was. If you're stuck in your sin and you're like, I can't get past this and God won't forgive me because of it, you need to look at how high Jesus was and how low he went for you. Because when going so low, he took the full wrath of God in your place. Scripture says he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And therefore, because Jesus was so high but went so low, you are forgiven. You are completely forgiven. You are 110% forgiven. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your slate is wiped clean and you're considered righteous in the eyes of God. And if you're a sinner, that is good news. Do you see the beauty of Christ? Not only was he so supreme, but he went so low. We have nothing to offer him. And yet he went so low for us. It's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus Christ. Not only does he go low for us, but he involves us. He involves us in his mission, in his renewing activity. You and I know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, but in Jesus's death and resurrection, things begin to get fixed. A broken world begins to be renewed and made new as we just sang about a moment ago. And that starts with Jesus's resurrection from the dead. It's not just that we get eternal life, it's that all things are being made new and it starts with Christ kicking the tomb open and walking out. In verse 18, Paul says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that word firstborn again. It means that he is the first of the resurrection movement. He is the first of all things being made new. He is the first of the restored humanity. Romans 8 says that creation is growing, is groaning for all things to be made new. And Jesus has come for nothing less than the reconciliation of all things to God. That means everything that is broken, he will fix. In verse 20, it says, God through Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. That in Jesus' mind, he has the entire cosmos on his to-do list for fixing. So much so that one day the glory of God will cover the earth. I have a friend that I meet for coffee occasionally. He's just sitting outside a coffee shop that I go to on Hollywood Boulevard. He's a little older than me, and, and here's our dialogue. When I walk up, he says, hey, pastor, how you doing? And I said, I'm good, man, how are you? And he goes, good, how's God? And I say, God's good, he's good all the time, and all the time God is good. And he goes, I don't know, I don't know. The world is such a messed up place. It's so broken. There's so much division between people and evil in the world. I don't know how God could be good, doing a good job if he really exists and if he's really in charge. And then what I say is, oh, you don't know the story. You don't know about the renewal of all things. I mean, the reason that the world is a mess is because we messed it up as humans. But when God, uh, by his power, brought Jesus back to life, it began the resetting of the world, the restoring of things, the reconciliation of all things to God. 
God is in the business of fixing the world one thing at a time. We are worshiping Jesus because he's making all things new. And here's the amazing part. He's doing it through me and you. He's doing it through me and you. Verse 15 tells us that we've been transferred out of darkness, but into the kingdom of the son he loves. In other words, we have been saved from something, the wrath of God, but saved for something, God's purposes. We are part of the reconciliation of all things through Jesus. And Jesus works it out in us and then through us. In us and through us. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. We are spiritually dead people who have come back to life by the power of God through the cross and the empty tomb and are now participating with Jesus in the renewal of all things. We become his visible presence here in Boynton Beach and in Hollywood and through the entire world as we turn from sin, as you and I care for the poor, as we help restore broken families, as as we seek justice for the oppressed, as we love our neighbors, all while proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. The renewal of all things has begun and we get to be part of it. I noticed y'all had a new website and I looked at it yesterday and the first phrase that jumped off the new website when you click there, it says gospel fellowship is inviting others to join Christ in the renewal of all things. The renewing activity of Jesus becomes visible for the world to see through us, the church. Not the building, but the people. The people of Jesus. Do you know what that means? While in the beginning I told you a story of that woman who saw a compelling picture of Jesus and it brought her to worship. And then this artful hymn in Colossians 1 presents this beautiful picture of Jesus that should bring us to worship. Jesus presents the world with an artistic picture of his renewing activity. And do you know what that picture is? Us. We are the picture that Jesus is putting out there for the world to see that he is committed to renew all things. Jesus' work of art that is on display is you and me. As he makes all things new, starting with us, but then uses us in the restoration of creation. Why worship Jesus? It's crazy that everyone, everywhere, isn't worshiping him. He has unmatched superiority. He's incredibly sacrificial with his downward mobility and and incredibly powerful in his renewing activity that you and I get to be part of. It's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for sending the Son. Son, we thank you for sending the Spirit. We ask that the word that's come from Colossians 1 would would change us, Lord. We We don't want just information. We want transformation. By your grace and your power, we want to live as the people of Jesus, joining you in the renewal of all things. Oh God, bless these people. I pray that you would work in us and that you would change us and make us more like Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.